Hello, and welcome to Walking with the Tengu, where we usually look at classic texts for the modern martial artist. Today, I'm going to expound a bit more on a topic that I've talked about in past episodes, but feel the need to address again, as I've come across multiple relevant selections and quotes from works as I do research for future episodes. This is combined with the observation that in my own martial art community of choice, there has been a decrease in the value placed on etiquette. So much so that I've seen schools with almost no etiquette. The one social norm that seems to be kept is the slap bump before a match, but even that is starting to fray, as I've seen people use the bump as an opportunity to punch and injure the hand of their competitor. One of my teachers has taken to doing a slap grab, placing his hand over the fist bump of the other person after his hand got injured at the start of a match by someone doing this. Now, obviously, I love BJJ. It's a great tool on my tool belt of skills, but that doesn't mean it's perfect or can't be improved. More concerning to me is that some elements of it appear to be devolving. I would go so far as to say it's no longer really even a martial art. It's at best a combat sport, like Western boxing or Greco-Roman wrestling. And there's nothing wrong with that, if that's all you're looking for. And that's not to say that it can't be practiced as a martial art. I choose to, but many really good grapplers in my school aren't doing that. And if I had to guess, I'm in the minority in the BJJ community. The rest may say they're practicing a martial art, but ask them how what they do is different from wrestling, and their list will likely come down to technical grappling differences. Combine this with a general de-evolution of behavior in my country, polarization and dramatic hyper-aggression towards people with different worldviews, and it feels like it's getting worse every year. Rather than pretend it's not happening, let's rip the band-aid off and assess the wound. Let's see what we can do about it. I'm sure similar events can be observed in other cultures. I'm closest to American culture, so I'll write this with that in mind. My wife is American with Taiwanese influences, and I am American with Midwestern Scandinavian influences. And that's the cool thing about America. You can be from just about anywhere and be whatever that is, dash American. One's cultural and national identity can be different. You can nationally be American and culturally something else. Unlike most countries where your cultural and national identity is linked. Sure, in the last few decades, these borders have gotten fuzzier in Europe. Being nationally French, German, or Spanish will still generally means that you are culturally French, German, or Spanish. This is much more strictly enforced in Asia. Being nationally Japanese, Korean, Taiwanese, or Vietnamese means you are also culturally Japanese, Korean, Taiwanese, or Vietnamese. It doesn't matter if you move there or live for decades, speak the language like a native, and become a naturalized citizen. You will always be an outsider. You can never become those cultures. Now, neither of these systems is good or bad. It's just an observation. In some places, and historically, your national and cultural identity were inextricably linked. In some places today, those things can be different. You can be Chinese-American, Mexican-American, Japanese-American, Greek-American, Italian-American, Irish-American, whatever. What we have, then, is a confusion of behavioral norms. When I've been in Japan, there are a different set of behavioral norms than in America. Same with Taiwan. 
as well as many places in Europe, what is considered polite and normal is different from place to place. But then we take all these behavioral norms and we throw them all together in America, and we get what I suspect is a higher level of cultural friction. We have lots of different norms for etiquette and politeness clashing. What one person considers polite and thoughtful might be considered rude by another. There is a base level, lowest common denominator of etiquette in the U.S. But like many young cultures, it doesn't have the deeply entrenched social etiquette norms that older cultures have. I would even posit the theory that the older a culture is, or perhaps the longer it has existed in a stable cultural state, the more entrenched its etiquette norms are. I would also suggest that the closer a people group has lived to violence, the more rigid its etiquette norms are. There needs to be little to no room for misunderstandings. If you're intending violence towards another, then the conditions need to be clear. To keep that violence within a circle, within a bubble, stop it from spreading. This might be seen in the classic representations of European dueling practice. Throwing down the glove, slapping the face, the exchange of confirmation, the exchange of time and place, weapons, to first blood, to the death, the appointment of seconds, and so on. The rituals of social violence are ensconced in deeply rigid trenches to prevent misunderstandings and to minimize the collateral damage. In numerous cultures, you see these as a kind of bumper against long-standing feuds between clans or families. Romeo and Juliet is basically a play all about what happens when one steps outside these norms. Well, not directly, it can often be inferenced from literary works that when the norms and standards are upheld, deeply bloody feuds are meant to be prevented. The Icelandic sagas, the rules for dueling in the Tokugawa shogunate, the generations of dueling with swords and guns in numerous European cultures. It's almost as if culture doesn't matter. The one thing that unites us is violence. And the one lesson etiquette is meant to teach us, to prevent, is a conflagration of violence that spreads like wildfire through our communities. Every major warrior culture that I can find also exists within a rigid set of etiquette to channel that violence. It follows, then, that this exists for the stability of that society because without behavioral norms and checks on violence, the uncertainty of anarchy breeds fear. Fear kindles into preventative violence against perceived threats, real or imagined. Unchecked violence blossoms into devastation. Thus, we can follow this bloody, smoking battlefield of destruction to its end. The use and application of violence must be ensconced in the norms of etiquette. Without it, we weaken our society, all of our cultures, and ultimately, our nations. We don't need overly embellished, dramatic, or highly rigid etiquette. We need simple, direct methods of restraining violence. Whatever that looks like, eye contact, a greeting, a wave to show that one's hands don't carry a weapon, a shaking of hands to symbolize the meeting of two people in one moment, a bow to show gratitude. Unlike the hard sciences, the boundaries of human behavior are squishy. There may be patterns, but there are never certainties the way some things about the structure of reality are. So etiquette must also be flexible. It must bend so that our societies don't break. We must give allowances. There must be room for patience and mercy. Only then can misunderstandings be smoothed over and violence avoided. Our martial arts training should be preparing us with these cultural and psychological tools as well. The training room is a place where we can explore violence within bounds, and sometimes those bounds will be crossed. 
Marcus Aurelius, the emperor of the Roman Empire, wrote about this in his private journal. When your sparring partner scratches or headbutts you, you don't then make a show of it, or protest, or view him with suspicion, or as plotting against you. And yet, you keep an eye on him, not as an enemy, or with suspicion, but with a healthy avoidance. You should act this way with all things in life. The etiquette norms of the training circle extend into all other areas of life. If you treat the school, dojo, training hall with respect, and your training partners with courtesy and care, those patterns become habits that impact every other area of your life. And of what value is this? As mentioned already, manners and etiquette have a direct relationship historically with violence. Any warrior culture shows this. Violence must exist within bounds perhaps because subconsciously we know how horrible we can be. Deep down, each and every one of us knows the monster that lurks in our own hearts. However, this safety rail for violence in life ultimately is a reflection of the core character of a society. I recently posted on social media a quote from Robert A. Heinlein. A dying culture invariably exhibits personal rudeness, bad manners, lack of consideration for others in minor matters, a loss of politeness, of gentle manners, is more significant than is a riot. This quote is preceded by an important line. Manners are good when one may have to back his axe up with his life. If your life depends on what choices you make, then your manners will reflect that. The reason explosive anger is described as childish is because adults aren't supposed to behave that way. When a child does it, their capacity for violence is minimal and relatively easier to contain. When an adult, particularly a man, behaves violently in explosive anger, all of society ultimately suffers. Another quote, this time from Balthazar Gracian, Don't be brittle as glass in dealing with people, and especially with friends. Some people crack easily, revealing their fragility. They fill up with offense and fill others with annoyance. They reveal a nature so petty and sensitive that it tolerates nothing, in jest or in earnest. The slightest thing offends them, so insults are never necessary. Those who have dealings with them have to tread carefully, always attending to their sensibilities and adjusting to their temperaments, since the slightest snub annoys them. They are completely self-centered. The training of etiquette in the martial arts is the foundation on which these habits of patience, forbearance, and mutual respect can be trained early in our children. It is also the first step for adults who have never been taught how to handle such matters. I don't know about in your culture, but here in America, they are most certainly not getting that from public education, who, I might add, it is not their job even to teach this, or at home, whose job it is, but whose fabric has been destroyed with each successive year. If you're not American, I'm sure you can imagine how these matters apply in your own culture. I can only speak for mine. In American culture, there has always been a weak and shaky foundation for manners. The loud, obnoxious American tourist is a trope for a reason. The overly polite Japanese tourist who cleans up after themselves is also a trope for a reason. Each of our cultures likely falls somewhere on that spectrum with a host of consequences as a result. They are not hard truths, but are just behavioral norms. 
As I watched the degradation and abandonment of all etiquette in BJJ schools all over the world, I can't help but wonder if there will be consequences for this. We are handing people a knife and never teaching them to control themselves. This has to have long-term consequences. On the other hand, I see the highly ritualized etiquette of Iaido almost as a kind of dance. From every moment you step out into the training space, your behavior is meant to conform to behavioral and postural norms. The slightest movement is subject to scrutiny. The attention to detail is incredible. While an excellent practice, we certainly don't need that level of detail in BJJ. We do need something, though. I would suggest that there are three areas of primary importance that need to be kept in mind. I don't actually care what kind of etiquette you use, just that you use something. If you have something in your native culture that can be used, then use that. If you don't have that, then I would suggest adopting the etiquette of the culture your art can be traced back to. For BJJ, I would suggest judo etiquette. Have the etiquette expectations documented somewhere for new people. The best place is in the daily behavior of everyone training, but have it somewhere so new people can read and think about what it means when they are not training, while they are waiting. It's a daily training tool, just like everything else in your martial art. To that end, the three areas that I think need to be considered are, first, the teacher. This isn't blind respect, just gratitude for your teacher who takes their time to bother teaching you. Without teachers, we would have to reinvent things for ourselves, which, while possible, is definitely harder than learning from someone who already knows the way. Whatever that looks like in your culture, do that. Bring them a little gift on holidays, tell them thank you after class. Some teachers are full-time workers, some are volunteers, each is still a human being who needs to be appreciated. Second, the training partner. This person sacrifices their body, just as you do, so that each other can train. Treat each other accordingly. Shake hands before a match, or bow, or slap, bump. Not punch. It doesn't matter what the specific etiquette is. It matters that you are mutually agreeing to simulated violence and that you treat each other with care and compassion. Lastly, the training area. Take care of your training area. Clean it. Maybe do a little bow before going out on the mat, or just pause and take a moment to take a breath and put everything else aside. These three things are what I look at when I visit a school for any martial art. How the teachers and students treat each other, how the students treat each other, and then how well do they maintain their training area? With these three, you can get a pretty good finger on the pulse of how these people are going to treat you and how much you can trust them to control their violence. Ultimately, it's up to you what you want to subject yourself to. It is said people find the school and teacher they deserve, and there's truth in that. American culture is fracturing possibly even dying or devolving. Our daily interactions with people from many different cultures requires a shifting set of behavioral norms that may or may not apply. How one behaves on the East Coast is different from the Midwest, which is different from the South. Learning to be adaptable when it comes to training in different schools is a skill that can be trained too. How one school does their etiquette may not be the same as your home school, each of us should have a highly refined awareness of adapting to what is normal in other places. 
both in training and when traveling internationally. This is a skill that will help you smooth over all sorts of misunderstandings and open doors to all kinds of new experiences and friends. Another quote from Balthazar Gracian, Substance is insufficient. Circumstance is also vital. A bad manner ruins everything, even justice and reason. A good manner makes up for everything. It gilds a no, sweetens truth, and beautifies old age itself. How something is done plays a key role in all affairs, and a good manner is a winning trick. Graceful conduct is the chief ornament of life. It gets you out of any tight situation. With that in mind, I'll say what I always say at the end of these episodes, but if you've been listening for a while, I want you to really think about it this time. Don't just talk about philosophy, or in this case, etiquette, but like your martial art, live it. <laughs>